Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a great show planned just for you. Rob Blue is going to be joining me in just a minute. And hour two is going to be Jeff Verdorn. We're continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And I just heard from Dr. Alex McFarland. So we'll more on that in just a minute. But let's get started with Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And if you have a question for Rob, because you know he's a regular, he always is with us on Tuesday. You can text your question over. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Rob, welcome. Bill, it's great to be back with you. Always uh, join the Faith Radio Network and uh, certainly welcome those questions. So, so yeah, they're great. Away. They're great. And it seems like we're we're getting closer and closer to the midterm elections. Uh, of course, my interest is in election integrity. I know you've got an update for us. Well, yes, we we certainly are. I mean, it's uh, for for anybody who's in a contested congressional seat or a state where there's a Senate race or a governor's campaign, you're no doubt being inundated with television ads and other sort of uh, commercials that uh, are are appealing sometimes uh, to a more negative focus, which is which is unfortunate. But that is what we. Uh, have to deal with uh, heading into these days before November 8th. And you're absolutely correct. There is a lot of concern on the part of Americans uh, in both parties, but particularly the Republican Party, about the integrity of our elections. And I think that's a holdover from what happened two years ago in 2020 when there was a lot of doubt that President Trump cast about uh, the integrity of, of the vote. And uh, several states have taken action, Bill. It's, a, it's good uh, that they uh, have responded and their state lawmakers uh, taking, taking seriously steps that they can do to tighten up things like voter ID or making sure that there's clarity in terms of how and when you can change uh, election uh, and voting uh, rules. But there's still more work to do. No state has it perfect. And, uh, and, and I think that there are a lot of voters who will be hopefully uh, more confident in the outcome of the election. But as a recent poll that I saw uh, just yesterday indicated, uh, there's still a sizable portion of people who feel like if their candidate doesn't win, that it may be a case of a, election fraud. And mm-hmm. I think we need to get to a point, Bill, in this country where there's less doubt about the, the accuracy of, of the vote count and more confidence that uh, maybe sometimes your guy or, or girl just didn't win. And, uh, yeah. and that's just uh, the, the way that things go. Yeah. Rob, you're an upstanding taxpaying citizen. Let me ask your opinion on something. What do you think of the FBI? Oh, well, <laughs> these days, Bill, I, I think that a lot of Americans have lost faith in the FBI. Okay. And, and, and sometimes for some reason, you know, good measure, um, there seems to be a politic- politicization of our law enforcement agencies. And uh, this, this started, of course, long before the current administration was in office. And I think it's unfortunate because I do think that there are a lot of good men and women who who devote their lives to the FBI and are there to do good. But there are some bad actors who have decided to take the FBI in a more political direction. Uh, and there are now questions cast about uh, whether or not they're they're actually doing their jobs to the, the, the fullest extent possible. And, you know, whether it be the relatives of, uh, of of politicians who seem to get favorable treatment, uh, not to name any names, but, you know, that's one factor. Uh, I think that the most recent raid on Mar-a-Lago 
which seems to be ultimately a dispute over some documents that may have been able to be resolved without without armed agents uh, storming the property. You know, those things happen. Uh, but, you know, Bill, it's something else that I think uh, goes beyond just kind of the, the political elite in our country that our, our people uh, have taken notice of. And that is the FBI's uh, persecution of uh, individuals, uh, those Christians who who are strong um, uh, supporters of, of the pro-life movement, uh, ardent opponents of abortion, who have faced the consequences. Uh, Mark Houck being one example in Pennsylvania. That was my recently. next question. Ironically, Rob, that was my next question. I wanted to talk about this. I mean, he's, well, yes. he's looking at a significant prison sentence for peacefully That's- protesting at an abortion clinic. That's right. Well, there's a, there's a law called the the Face Act, which uh, which prohibits you know certain behaviors outside of both pregnancy resource centers and and abortion clinics. Um, and this particular gentleman was there with his 12 year old son and a a, a older uh, pro abortion uh, supporter. Uh, gotten the, the the child's face and the father being like any protective father would, um, you know, intervened and uh, there was a, a shove involved and the the, the individual uh, fell to the ground. Now this case played out at a local level, Bill. I think it's important to remember those facts and and ultimately it was dismissed. Nothing came of it. Mm-hmm. And then almost a year later, the Department of Justice. Uh, decides to raid his house in front of his kids and and arrest him uh, on these charges regarding the FACE Act. And now there's a couple of points here that I think your your listeners would appreciate. Number one, there have been a number of, of pro-life uh, pregnancy resource centers that have faced attacks in the wake of the Dobbs decision that simply have gone unanswered. We're still waiting for the Department of Justice and the FBI to charge or prosecute the individuals who are responsible, and they are essentially staying mum and not doing anything. Um, so that's disconcerting in and of itself. And then there's this question of as to, like, is this really political? Because why, after almost a year, did they decide to go after Mark Houck? Why are they going after some of these other pro-life leaders, as my colleague Mary Margaret Olihan has documented? And that's what I find particularly troubling. And it seems like there may be more to the story than we we know. And I think that this is a good reason for us to be skeptical and to ask some tough questions of Attorney General Merrick Garland until we get the answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> it's very disturbing, Rob. And I did follow that story enough to know that it's uh, it's very troubling because you see all these pro-life centers that have burned down. And you would think that there would be one arrest amidst all of the burned pro-life centers. You would certainly think so. And and, it, and pro-life centers, churches, I mean, it, you, you can go down the list right. of, of the, the types of organizations that faced attacks in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Uh, I mean, not to mention the fact that we had somebody who was uh, outside of a Supreme Court justice, Brett Kavanaugh's home, uh, plotting to assassinate him. I mean, so that there there have been reprehensible behavior on the part of some individuals here. And I think that the frustration is that the the, the so-called crimes that have been committed by the pro-life activists pale in comparison to the actions of those who have destroyed property and, and damaged lives um, uh, on, on the pro-abortion side. And so there does appear to be a double standard. Uh, and and that's, I think, why the FBI, when you when you look at polling data or when you talk to individuals, uh, they now lack the confidence. One thing that I think you will see, now this, this all depends on the makeup of the next Congress, of course, is more oversight on the part of, of the U.S. House or the Senate. I think that the FBI is, is probably getting away with things right now and not having to answer some of those tough questions that may change in the future. Mm-hmm. 
When I think of the way the FBI handled the Hunter Biden laptop issue, it seemed that there could have been uh, a lot more done about that, but that was too inconvenient. Well, and and Hunter Biden, yes, there was. So there was the the laptop issue. There, you know, are are other issues involving Hunter Biden, um, in, including you know drug use. Now it appears tax evasion and and other other things that you know are are certainly uh, within the the scope of of him facing mm-hmm. an indictment or some sort of charges. And uh, you know, you have people who are asking the question. Why are we still waiting for the the FBI or DOJ to take any action here? Uh, President Biden himself has said no one's above the law. And if this is truly the case, um, why does it appear that the president's son is is uh, escaping, uh, you know, the the pursuit of justice here? So I, I don't I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of, uh, of how things work at the Department of Justice. Uh, but I think that in order to have confidence in our rule of law in this country, uh, we can't treat people, uh, we can't have a double standard in terms of how we treat uh, politicians or their families. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, I'd love for you to bring us up to speed on American corporations and them embracing um, the woke agenda. Well, yes. I mean, we we have seen this increasingly. Uh, the, the The terminology here is, is is ESG, and it stands for environmental social governance. And we saw this, you know, happen in in many cases at the largest corporations. But now we're starting to see it infiltrate into small businesses and even individuals. Uh, there are certain banks that will assign an ESG score. Uh, to you and me, Bill, uh, depending on the bank. And, you know, they will do things like maybe give us more favorable rates for loans, or maybe they'll even deny us a loan or a small business owner a loan if they don't have a, a satisfactory ESG score. So it measures everything as it says from environmental. So, you know, what kind of policies do you have? Or, you know, are you, if mm. you're a oil company, you know, obviously that would penalize you in your score. Uh, you know, social, uh, related to all of those policies we, we talk about in terms of equity and diversity. And, you know, some of them are, are, are maybe noble, um, but in some cases, in, or in this particular case, it seems like they're using, they're being used to advance a certain political agenda. And, uh, and, and this is, I don't think, the direction that we want to go. Now, fortunately, there, there has, you know, been organizations that pop up and try to push back on this. I had a fascinating interview today with uh, Gentry Collins, who's with the American Free Enterprise Chamber of Commerce, and they're really trying to differentiate themselves from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for, for those who don't really know, is a longtime establishment organization here in Washington, which is increasingly favoring those large corporations and not necessarily looking out for all American businesses. And so uh, this new organization attempts to put the focus back on the free market and and not necessarily those policies uh, that don't put the interests of the shareholders and and, and the customers first. Mm-hmm. Rob, before we go to break, I have a question from a listener that says, why have the Republicans never ordered a cognitive cognitive test for Biden like the Democrats did for Trump? Well, I you know it's it's a political question. I mean, I I do think that uh, you've had some Republicans who've called for it, but obviously as a as a as an entity or an institution as a party, I, I you know it's it's something that there's probably widespread disagreement on. Okay. Uh, number number one, Bill, I'd say um, you know the American people I think recognize in in the president in President Biden's own actions some some areas where maybe he is not necessarily uh, a- acting at full capacity, and uh, there are a large number of Democrats 
who are positioning themselves to run in 2024 because they don't believe that he is the future of the party. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back with Rob. If you have a question for Mr. Bluey, you can text the question over 877-933-2484. And I'll promise never to call him Mr. Bluey again. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I was not gone very long, and we're already back with Rob Bluey. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal, and I recommend you checking that out if you haven't already done so. Just bookmark it on your on your web browser, dailysignal.com. Rob, here's a question that just came in. Do you ever sense the Biden administration wants the U.S. to go to war with some country? Seems like lots of threats are made to lots of countries. Would there be some advantage to the U.S. being at war? Well, you would certainly hope that they don't do so for political reasons, but I mean, certainly uh, this this listener is not the first to suggest it. I mean, I, there have been movies made about this and how how wars can certainly uh, help uh, political causes. Um, when we were at war in 2002, I remember distinctly how Republicans fared much better in that midterm election than hi- history suggested. And I think probably the fact that the country was united after 9-11 uh, the fact that uh, President Bush at that time was uh, administering, you know, what what appeared to be, you know, a, su- a successful war in, in Afghanistan. Obviously, things changed over over the decades that followed. Um, and I think that you know, as we look to what's happening in Eastern Europe with Ukraine and 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 Russia, and obviously the fighting that's intensified over the weekend and and in recent days, uh, there's cause for concern. Um, and and it's a re- it's a reason why I think we we need to have a uh, much uh, more more clarity from this administration about what the long-term strategy is. We have not received that. You and I have talked in the past, Bill, about how it seems every few months Congress comes back and they appropriate more appropriate more money for Ukraine. And you know, th- if this this of course continues to add up, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're we're well over sixty billion dollars wow. now uh, just this year, uh, which is more money than some federal agencies, uh, you know, <laughs> get get in an entire budget cycle, significantly more. Mm-hmm. And and what we're lacking is uh, the the long term strategic plan for how the Biden administration sees this ending. Um, and I don't know that they actually have a, have a long term plan, um, and they haven't articulated one. So it 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 is a cause for concern. Now, do I think that a, a war in, in the short term is on the horizon? Probably not before the November elections. I mean, it seems like we're, we're heading into a period of, of colder weather in that, that region of the world, and it's unlikely that there will be you know, an increase in fighting. But that's anyone's guess to predict. Putin, if anything, has been so unpredictable in some of his actions here. And when many people thought he was losing and would, would retreat, uh, you know, he's activated the military and he's, he's done things like annex uh, certain provinces in Ukraine. Uh, that uh, I don't think anybody really anticipated he would do. So he's a little bit unpredictable himself, and I think that's what it makes him dangerous. Mm-hmm. Rob, I think on Saturday of last Saturday, there were thousands of pro-abortion activists 
that gathered in D.C. Uh, uh, what happened? Well, our Daily Signal team was out there. We, we think it's really important, Bill, uh, that, that we tell the story of, of what's going on uh, right here in our backyard in, in Washington, D.C., and, and Mary Margaret Olihan and Tim Kennedy, who were the two, two people out there on behalf of the Daily Signal, uh, were not welcome by any means. Uh, in fact, that they were, they were uh, pushed out by the protesters and, uh, and had to retreat uh, for, for, for you know, their own safety. Uh, and I think that this is just, you know, a testament to how how the left sometimes operates. I mean, they can get quite aggressive and, and violent. And the things you heard were, were you know, so uh, depressing. I mean, to to somebody like, you know, who, who to any Christian, I think, who, uh, you know, values human life, uh, wants to, to, to save as many babies as possible. And, uh, you know, this group was clearly animated by the Dobbs Supreme Court decision and, uh, and, and mobilizing, you know, for that purpose. But, uh, you know, the Women's March is, is nothing new. Uh, it's been happening now for several years in Washington, D.C., and it's uh, disappointing to see that when it, when it turns violent and the rhetoric turns ugly like that. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. If you just joined us, welcome. Interesting at thedailysignal.com, Rob, there's a story on uh, gender ideology uh, and there's Matt Walsh has got his "What Is a Woman" tour, and I would love for you to talk about that. Well, yes, and and I think um, one of the things that I'll, I'll clue your your listeners in, um, we have a team that's actually in Vermont right now. Uh, one of our most popular stories over the course of the past week was about how two Vermont high school girls, um, you know, spoke up. Uh, when a biological boy who identifies as a transgender girl entered their locker room, they asked that student to leave. And the th- this has sparked a controversy in that community and Randolph, Vermont. Uh, so we sent our team there to to talk to some of the, the people in the community, and, you, and your listeners can find the stories forthcoming on the site in the days that follow. But I think that this is just one anecdote of what's happening all across this country. I mean, I, I hear about it from, sadly, uh, my middle school child, uh, who ha- you know has uh, people in in his school who you know are are being I think pushed in this direction or or you know confused about their gender, and uh, and Bill, um, it, you know it's uh, it's conversations that you probably that parents probably never expected to have with their kids, uh, but I think that there are a couple of factors here. I mean, there are certainly this cultural phenomenon that exists, and and those uh, in the medical community who have embraced it or failed to push back on it, um, and where, where there was just confusion or gender dysphoria in the past, now it's, it's celebrated, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that that's troubling. And then the second thing is, I think it's uh, on, on Instagram or TikTok or other platforms where this type of a lifestyle is, is embraced. I think, uh, you know, teens who are, you know, obviously going through a lot of, um, you know, changes in their their life and their hormones, you know, are are probably sometimes asking questions and they might not have answers. And where do they turn if not their parents or, or, you know, some other uh, adult in their life? Well, they look to these influencers on social media who in many cases can have a bad influence on them. And so that's one of the reasons when it comes to tech policy, uh, we need to be taking a close look at, uh, at this as well. And I think as parents, we need to be careful about allowing our kids to be on some of these social platforms without supervision. Rob, wouldn't you agree that kids are rebellious at times by nature and that they're going to want to try to get back at their parents? They'll look at the thing that will make them the most unhappy? 
Oh, certainly. And, and, and sadly, Bill, you know, in, in some of these cases, it's, it's, it's happening in, in where, where there's tragedy in, in the home, um, you know, as well. So, I mean, there, are, there are, are, are a number of outside factors that I think we shouldn't dismiss that, uh, that they could be influencing the decision. But certainly rebellious teenagers is, is one, one situation uh, that I think we should be aware of. And instead of, of, you know, counseling the students that they might be just going through a tough period in their lives, uh, you know, they you you have life altering decisions being made, and and some counselors and some doctors who are embracing it. Fortunately, there are good people uh, who are are pushing back on it. But um, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier with with these woke corporations, I mean, increasingly you're seeing it from them as well, uh, and and pushing pushing these ideas. And so it seems like wherever you turn in life, the culture, the businesses, the education establishment. Uh, you, you feel like you're up against some big hurdles, and as, as Christians and conservatives, I, I think that um, you know that's that's a tough situation for us to be in. But we need to to hold to, to the truth and uh, and God's word. And and Bill, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll come out and we'll we'll see the truth here at the end. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob, let me let me process this with you. So Nancy Pelosi says the immigrants have to come in because crops need to get picked. Because if we don't let them in and pay them fifteen dollars an hour, the price of Lettuce, let's say, for example, will triple. But if we pay someone $15 an hour at McDonald's, for example, the price of hamburgers only go up, goes up a quarter. So help me with that. Yeah, I didn't understand her logic. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> frankly, I think if you had a Republican who was on the other side, or, you know, who, who had made a comment like that, I mean, there would be lampooning of the person for, for days or weeks to come. Uh, of course, Pelosi, you know, sometimes says so many oddball things that it's just, you know, dismissed or, or excused. So, yeah, I, 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 I just don't I don't know how to ex- how to explain it exactly. But I think it's another example of th- this lack of. Uh, I mean, the the entire situation, the entire immigration situation is is just both sad and, and, and tragic in many respects. I mean, certainly the the illegal border crossings and and the the, the trek that that individuals are are, are making uh, through Central America, through Mexico. I mean, it, it is it is devastating to so many people, and the consequences, particularly women and young girls, face mm-hmm. uh, being raped or abused along the way. Um, you know, makes you cry, and then. They get here, and obviously they want to live a better life, and they're so aspirational about the hope that America offers. Uh, but then, you know, the system that we have in this country is, is, is cannot support it. And 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 there is a legal way to to come into the United States, and there's uh, ways that uh, people are evading that that process. And I don't think it's particularly fair. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who do, you know deduce it to just an economic argument, uh, don't fully understand the ramifications that, that come with the situation. Yeah. Rob, just a minute left. Where are the Republicans underperforming right now? Well, I, I think that the, the states that I would identify, um, you know, uh, co- they come to mind. Uh, Arizona's uh, one where there's some new polling out where, you know, it seems that uh, there's, it's going to be a tight race uh, coming down. Uh, in in both the Senate and the governor's race, New Hampshire is another one. Uh, you know, it is the Senate. Remember, Bill is split fifty fifty, so there's not much margin for error. Mm-hmm. If Republicans uh, pick up a seat, the Democrats have to take a seat. Uh, Pennsylvania is certainly a, a state that's in play. Um, we know has a retiring Republican senator, so a lot can happen in these next few weeks. Remember, it's usually the last two weeks before an election when you really start to see things break. So now's the time to start paying close attention. Thank you so so much, Rob. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. 
just got a call from Dr. Alex McFarland that he is unable to be on the show live. We have a replay of him, uh, a great episode, and then I will be back live with Jeff Verdorn in our Who Is This Jesus series. Be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. If I want wisdom from a present theologian, I'll call Alex McFarland and he'll join me on the show. And and wouldn't you know, he's with me today. Dr. Alex McFarland is is a uh, an author, a teacher, a seminar uh, leader. He 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 writes, he teaches, he leads people to Christ and nurtures them in their uh, in their walk with the Lord. Always glad to have him on, Alex. Welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's good to be on. And uh, you're always too kind in those introductions, but thank well, you. Well, I mean them every time. And the last several, a couple of months, we've been talking about the wisdom of theologians that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I have uh, really enjoyed this. I know listeners have too, so I thought I want to continue because there's still a number of them I would love to talk about. And this one, um, this one died in 2011. So who would it be? Hmm. Well, let me think here. Um, 2011. Was it, uh, was it John Stott? Yep. (laughs) Was it really? Of course. I said to Rosie, I I will not fool Alex. And once again, I haven't. You know, there, there have been a number of just seminal, you know, epic, thinkers um in recent years i mean i don't know all the dates but i know um for instance rc sproul mm-hmm. that um many listened to for years on the radio just one of the most brilliant people ever it was my privilege a couple of years ago at the national religious broadcasters and uh nrb is this convention that many of us go to and i'm sure bill yourself and your staff probably go to nrb but mm-hmm, they do um R.C. Sproul was there, and he had oxygen, and, you know, he looked really feeble. Uh, but he gave like an hour-plus lecture on the Reformation and Martin Luther and John Calvin and, you know, how we're all indebted to the Reformers, and it was riveting. I mean, it, and to my knowledge, it was the last time R.C. Sproul ever spoke wow. in public uh, because just days later he passed away. But made church history come alive. And, you know, the reason I say that, and we, we can talk about, you know, uh, John Stott and uh, J.I. Packer and so many of the ones from our own lifetime, um, church history and good theology is is riveting and it's empowering. And that's why I want to encourage everybody listening, you know, if you're if you're a part of a church or if you're teaching Sunday school or maybe if you're a pastor, teach the great doctrines that, you know, Jesus is deity, the Son of God, and the atonement, and he paid for our sins on the cross. Because truth, Bill, I think truth, especially biblical truth, is very empowering and uplifting, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, Alex. Yep. And um, John Stott wrote over 50 books, and one of them is Basic Christianity. It's a a book which uh, explains the message of Christianity and does a really nice job of convincing its readers of its truth and its importance. And it's a paperback book I've had in my library forever. Um, but I'd love, love to get some of John's uh, quotes, and I'll let you respond, Alex, if you don't mind. Wow. And just coming off of the last half hour, we talked about a little bit about what's going on in the world and what's wrong with the world. I thought I'd lead off with this. John Stott said, 
We should not ask what is wrong with the world, for that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask, what has happened to salt and light? Oh, wow, that's convicting. (laughs) Uh, And I'm assuming what he meant by that, you know, we know what's wrong with the world. It's the fall and it's sin. But the the salt and light, that's what the church is supposed to be, isn't it? Yep, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus said you were the salt of the earth. And uh, if the salt loses its saltiness, you know, what good is it? It's not worth really any anything. So um, I, I know you've heard preachers, you know, preach on this. This is not original with me, but salt um, makes people thirsty, you know, and the water of life is what we are to carry around the world, the, the message of Jesus, and light drives out darkness and you know, it's interesting. I was on the radio earlier today, uh, Bill, with a guy named Dr. Jerry Newcomb, who for years was the kind of theologian in residence with D. James Kennedy Ministries. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dr. Kennedy has gone on to be with the Lord. But um, we were talking about the fact that wherever Christendom goes, there is the betterment of the human condition. Literacy, medicine, hygiene, cleanliness, morality, civility you know, lawfulness, and uh, we are the salt and light. I mean, really, uh, we're to take that saving message of the gospel. Salt is medicinal, and light drives out darkness. And so to the John Stott quote, uh, what has happened to salt and light, um, I would say, as I understand the Scripture, um, when the church isn't doing its job, there's a great void left, isn't there? Mm, There sure is. Yep. Alex, here's another John Stock quote I like. He said, Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Well, um, re- read that again. Yeah. Love grows soft. Our love grows soft if it's not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Wow. You, you remember the Bible says Jesus came uh, with grace and truth. Okay, I, I think about the church, because right now, you know, uh, it's no secret the world, not only America, the world is embroiled in struggles over some very key basic truths r- relative to being a human being, gender, male and female, mm-hmm. marriage, family, sexuality. Okay, there, there are churches and denominations that are just... Uh, all about love and no truth whatsoever. Just they think they're being compassionate, but they're really not helping people by helping them understand sin and the way of salvation. On the other hand, there there are legalistic churches that are all truth and no grace whatsoever. And uh, Bill, I, I used to say this because I, I know both sides of the coin. I grew up in a church that was liberal in the 70s and 80s. Then I found the Lord when I was in college, I've often said this, um, liberalism is is love at the expense of truth, but legalism is truth at the expense of love. You know, mm-hmm. and we, we need both, and, and only the Lord can help us, you know, maintain that balance or even find that balance. But um, love grows soft if not strengthened by truth, said yeah. Stott. That's really true, isn't That's it? That's so good, so good. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest, and we're talking about Dr. John Stott, who passed away in 2011, but 
I had the chance to meet Dr. Stott uh, many, many years ago at All Souls Church in London one day. It was really a thrill. Oh, my word. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That's great. You know, um, does this ring a bell? I know there in uh, Minneapolis, everybody knows of Billy Graham. Uh, do you remember Amsterdam 2000? This was like in late summer, August of the year 2000. Billy Graham convened a big conference in Amsterdam in the, the Netherlands. Do you remember that? I don't. It, it was really great. And um, Franklin Graham kind of was the, the MC because Billy Graham was not well and couldn't attend, although he did speak by video. And all right, there were, I don't know, 10,000 evangelists, um, mostly, mostly men, but some women from 120 some nations. And we, for eight or nine days, we heard speakers. We went to seminars. We went out into the streets of Amsterdam, witnessing, sharing the gospel. But I heard, I got to sit in a class taught by Dr. Stott. I got to sit in a class taught by J.I. Packer, Bill Bright, Cliff Barrows was there, Chuck Colson, Josh McDowell. I mean, everybody you've ever, all of the heroes, you know, were there. And many of them are on in heaven now. Um, Stephen Olford, O-L-F-O-R-D, Dr. Stephen Olford was there. And uh, it was just amazing. But you got to meet him. I got to sit in one of his classes. Uh, he was quite a thinker. And you mentioned the book Basic Christianity. I had forgotten about that book, but that's, that's a classic every library should have. Would you agree? No, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Alex, here's another John Stock quote I like. The purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I remember I've seen bumper stickers that says prayer changes things. And I heard a preacher say prayer changes us. Uh, and, you know, I like that. Not What did you say? Not to bend God's will. Um, you know, we don't we don't have to arm wrestle God, do we? No, no, no. But I think um, really one of the most important things about prayer, and, and maybe Dr. Stott was thinking of this, is that, you know, prayer humbles us because we acknowledge God as our source, and we need the Lord. I mean, we really do. And maybe in humbly opening ourselves up before the Lord, we begin to realize how we can trust him, and maybe some of the things that we beg God for, we need to take a second look at. And like, what did Scott say? Align our will with his. He said, um, the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. Well, Bill, have you ever had a prayer that was unanswered or maybe not answered in the way that you thought? And at the time, that was, you know, kind of hard. But in retrospect, looking back, you were so glad. Yeah, let me get out my list. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I can think of a couple. I, 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 I shudder to think how my life would be different if some of the things that I had begged God for had mm-hmm. come to pass, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And I look back and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for protecting me from my own misplaced desires. Yeah, so good. Here's another one. I like this one a lot too, Alex. Um, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. 
Well, you know, I think about Mark ten forty four. Jesus said, "He who would be greatest among you would be the servant of all." And um, obedience is better than sacrifice. That that is true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a convicting verse is Luke six forty six. Jesus says, "Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say?" That, I mean, when I read that verse, the Savior asks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? I mean, I'm like speechless before that verse. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, here's another one. Every time we look at the at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is profound. It is. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of like it reminds me of um, Spurgeon, really. And, you know, the, the, hey, born-again Brits are a wonderful thing. You know, if you've ever listened to some of the, you know, not only Spurgeon, but, of course, C.S. Lewis, and, you know, in our own times, you know, people like... Um, uh, N.T. Wright, but um, the 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 Brits have a way of coining a phrase or, or turning a phrase that is so pithy, um, and it's true what Stott says. Jesus went to the cross because of me. It was my sin that put him there. And um, um, let me ask you this, uh, Bill. What you, what do you think of when you think of that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Mel. Mel Gibson's movie, right? Do you did you see it when it first came out? I did. Yeah, I did too. Um, in fact, I went to a private screening with a few pastors, and uh, Mel Gibson was there to talk about the oh, movie. Wow. But um, it was pretty amazing. And I know they've done several re-releases, and I think some of the um, you know the gore they softened, which is unfortunate, really, because one of my friends who was a technical advisor. Gary Habermas said, you know, that the beating and all of the gore, as hard as it might have been to see, was actually pretty accurate. Um, and it pro- in reality, it would have been worse. But here's the thing. there's this, the You can see the nails being driven into Jesus's hand. And th- those are Mel Gibson's hands driving the nails in the film. You can't see him, but you can see the hands. Mm-hmm. You think it's a Roman soldier. Mel Gibson said he personally did that. Because it was his sin that put Christ on the cross. Oh, wow. Much like the Stott quote, he was there because of us. Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're talking about theologians from the past and some of their incredible, profound wisdom today. We're talking about Dr. John Stott, who passed away in 2011. And he was a, a minister of the, in the UK for most of his life. But we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with Alex. want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, we're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. 
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest, and we are uh, chatting about theologians from the past who've gone on to be with the Lord. Today, we're talking about Dr. John Stott, who I met uh, probably 30 years ago, and it was really mm. a thrill to meet him. But, Alex, let me run this one by you. At the cross, in holy love, God, through Christ, paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. He bore the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we do not deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. Mm, profound. I think so, too. Uh, you know, it reminds me of that song you know, that we sing at Easter or maybe when we have communion, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Uh, because it really is, I mean, folks, if you think about what God did to make our salvation possible, and here's Jesus, the sinless, righteous Son of God, but God incarnate, the eternal God embodied here on earth, and he was qualified and he was willing to go to the cross. Jesus is nailed to the cross, and the appropriate measure of God's wrath that I deserved for my sin and uh, for everybody's sin is poured onto Jesus. I was reading in one commentary, Bill, the uh, because God is holy, and yes, God is love, and God is merciful, and whosoever will may come, but um, God couldn't and wouldn't compromise his own holiness because he would cease to be God, and the, the wrath, the punishment, the judgment, the fury of a holy heaven was poured onto Jesus, and he endured that out of love for us. And the love of God was manifested, the grace is extended to humanity, but yet the holiness and righteousness of God was in no way compromised. Mm -hmm. It it really is um, an amazing, an amazing work that God undertook. And again, without compromising his sovereignty or his righteousness, without compromising our freedom or sweeping anything under the rug, God made salvation for the human race possible. Now, us putting our trust in Jesus, that's what makes salvation actual. Mm -hmm. And I want to say to everybody listening, um, maybe you're aware of Jesus and you know God loves you, and that's wonderful. But it's not just a passively automatic thing. Merely because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean you're automatically going to heaven. You have to put your faith in Jesus, and you have to say, yes, Lord, I believe, uh, because uh, salvation is a personal thing. And, Bill, I, I would just throw that out there if there's anybody listening and you're, you're wondering, am I really born again? Well, today you can make sure, and, and you can call on Jesus, and he has promised. And we could give so many verses, but Jesus said in John six thirty seven, the one who comes to me I will not reject. And so... Um, you know, it, it is endlessly complex to think about, but yet it is very simple. God loves you. Put your faith in Jesus, and you'll be forgiven. It's the most beautiful thing in the world, isn't it, Bill? Uh, it is, and you always deliver the goods for me, Alex. I just love that. Thank you for doing that. I'm excited about Jesus. I know you are. <laughs> I know. All right, how about this one? This will be a little convicting. Sin and the child of God are incompatible. 
they may occasionally meet, they cannot live together in harmony. Wow. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, um, I, I've shared this before, but um, Augustine, you know, apparently St. Augustine was a party boy before he was converted, you know. I did hear and that. Spo- yeah. He, uh, I think, had been wealthy, you know, and everything, but he's like going down a street and apparently from a from a darkened doorway of a brothel, you know, one of his former associates, a, a woman, called out, said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he said, yes, but it is no longer I, because he was changed. Mm-hmm. And Stott is right. You know, sin and the Christian can't live under the same roof, can they? No, they cannot. Shouldn't, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I love this when it comes to doing radio, because you do a lot of it, Alex, and you do a lot of speaking and presenting and, and uh, evangelism, discipleship. John Stott said, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That That's amazing. Um, and, you know, you got to understand, folks, Stott came about in the mid-20th century, and uh, did you say he died in 2011? 2011. Mm-hmm. 2011. Okay. Yeah, um, just a little bit of backstory that's really important to understand. If you've ever wondered, like, wh- why in America and Europe, the West, you know, Britain 125 years ago was just white hot on fire for the gospel. And, you know, while really for the majority of the 20th century, America was the great engine for world missions. But in the 19th century, it was Britain for sure. But what happened? Well, what happened was, you know, in the aftermath of Charles Darwin in 1859, the origin of the species, um, evolution really began to infect academics. And people said, oh, life evolved. Well, maybe maybe morals evolved, maybe religion evolved. And rather than being revealed by God, religion just was developed by man. Now, this really unbelief and, you know, God doesn't exist, the Bible isn't the Word of God, took a few more decades for it to reach American shores. But Stott came about in the 50s, 60s, and 70s when People, you know, were saying, hey, we don't need eloquence and oratory. We need power from the Holy Spirit. Where had that power gone? Well, in many a seminary, graduate school, and formerly Christian college, Bill, as you probably know, the power and the zeal and the confidence had had left because we we ceased to be confident about the Word of God. Now, I say that because let me just, and you and I, we've done radio on this. We could do it again. I am more convinced than ever that the Bible is, yes, indeed, the Word of God and compelling lines of evidence. I was just reading, Bill, just earlier today, because I'm working on an, an outline of the book of First Peter, the incredible, incredible archaeological evidence, historical evidence, manuscripts that have come to light, um, just things that go back to within months after the time of Christ, more than ever, we have the compelling lines of evidence proving the authenticity of Scripture, the authenticity of what we know about Jesus. We've got every reason to be bold, to be confident, and we've got every reason to minister and share in the power of the Holy Spirit, because as we've always known, but now more than ever we know, God's Word is 
truth. Mm-hmm. And Stott also said the gospel is not preached if Christ is not preached. Amen to that. Amen. Yeah, I love this comment too, Alex. He said, here's how to determine God's will for your life. Go wherever your gifts will be exploited the most. Wow. <laughs> that That's really good. I love that, yeah. That that is good, you know. I, I've heard um, because to you know to everybody listening, you know, God has a plan for how He wants to use you for your good and His glory. And obviously, step one, as we said earlier, to know that you're saved. I mean, the most important and most basic step on your journey with the Lord is to know that you have Jesus Christ in your life. But as a believer, you know, I heard somebody once say, "Find out where your." deepest desire intersects with the world's deepest need. And chances are, you know, the the skills, the aptitudes, the strengths you have, the gifts you've got, the Lord put them there uh, for those to be used. God God is, for instance, Bill, I'll never be on the finance committee at a church because (laughs) I'm terrible in math. Mm -hmm. And uh, myself and math, on, on my best day, I could barely be adequate. But then there are other areas where you somebody might be excellent. And so, um, look, know your gifts. And, and maybe if you don't know what your areas of spiritual giftedness are, pray about that. Mm-hmm. Because I think God wants everybody to know their strengths and to use those things for growth and for the gospel. I agree. So, Alex, we'll do this again in two weeks. Do you want me to pick our next theologian, or do you want to pick one? Uh, hey, good. Let me Let me... Dig into the library, and okay. uh, and I'll, I'll surprise you. How about I, that? I love that. Yeah. So right. I'll look forward to that. Thank you Deal. so much for doing the show. God bless you, my God dear bless friend. You. God Alex, bless you. Alex McFarland has been my guest. His website is alexmcfarland.com. He's written over 20 books, and he's got a, a whole bunch of resources at alexmcfarland.com. Go check it out. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.